I'd like you to find your place in this text that we read this morning. The pastors asked me to, before the preaching this morning, to share a little bit of uh, where we're going. I know that many of you have been praying for us uh, since you got to know us many years ago. And uh, just in the last couple, of, uh, really last couple of years, uh, we've been here several times and we've shared with you and you've been praying for us. And God has answered your prayers because that's what he does. He does answer our prayers. Um, when we pray to him, uh, he does answer our prayers. Uh, we're not just uh, talking in, in, in thin air. God really does answer your prayers. And God has answered your prayers. Uh, last month, I uh, was given grace uh, to be able to defend my dissertation uh, before a group of scholars. Uh, and uh, God, it was really success. It was, uh, went very well and uh, was received. And, and so I was... Uh, 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 told uh, after that event that uh, I, I was uh, fit enough to earn their PhD. <laughs> and, and so uh, it's been a blessing. And uh, that moment, uh, I just didn't want to just present a dissertation, but I wanted to pray for an opportunity for me to share the gospel. Uh, because all wisdom uh, doesn't come from us, doesn't come from just our research. All wisdom comes from God. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom. And so God gave me an opportunity to be able to do that in, in a group of these scholars and to be able to share my testimony. And it was recorded on, on a DVD, which normally they don't do, but they did that. So I praise God. Thank you for your prayers. We are now packing and getting ready to leave to go back to Africa. And we hope and pray that maybe by December the 28th we'll be leaving to go back to Africa. But we have a very different call. I am a Ugandan. I was born in Uganda. And through the efforts of uh, missionaries that you all sent to come to Africa, I came to know the gospel. I'm the first Christian in my family. I have uh, uh, 21 brothers and sisters, and my father had seven wives. And of all these seven wives and all the 21 brothers and sisters, I was the first one who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, it didn't go well. When I came to know Jesus, it wasn't all rosy. I was excited about the newfound faith, but apparently my father wasn't that excited about the newfound faith because at a very young age, at the age of about five, he sent me to a British boarding school, in which was a, a Christian boarding school, which was built by the British. And the British had already gone, but the school now was managed by Africans. And he told me that the white people have their own religion, and that religion is called Christianity. And the Africans have their own religions and have their own gods. And so the intention of me going into this school was not to capture or take the white man's religion, but to take the white man's knowledge. And so, as you can tell, it was sealed in all our hearts that we are not there to take their religion. And so we were less concerned about what they said and their praying. But God, at the age of 14, sent a fellow classmate to come and share the gospel with me, and I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I got so excited, went back home, and I wanted to evangelize everyone. As a matter of fact, I did evangelize everyone. I told everyone who wanted to know, I told everything that was living 
whether it was a cat, a dog, a cow, they needed to know Jesus. That's how exciting it was. When my father got wind of it, he wasn't very excited. Uh, I had spent a whole night in prayer, and he looked for me and couldn't find me. I was back there in our backyard, in our plantation, where we had our small hut where our guards lived, because whenever we had some kind of trouble, my father would tell us to take a chicken or a, or a goat or a sheep, take it back there, slaughter that, and sacrifice to our guards so that problems would go away. And I'd spend the night back there, not inside that small building, but back there praying and asking God, because I'd read somewhere where it says Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. <laughs> so I want to spend the whole night in prayer and see what that looks like. It was exciting for me, but it wasn't exciting for him. And so he began hitting me and beating me up and telling me to renounce my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I didn't have enough wisdom, but I just said, you know, Dad, if I could change what happened to me, I could change it now because of all the pain that I'm going through. But I don't think I can change what happened to me. And so he gave me an ultimatum. He said, you know, I'm going to work today. And so you have a choice. If you stay here in my home, that means you've renounced this Christianity. But if I don't find you here, we just do a funeral. And then it's as if you've never existed. And so I thought about it, and I knew exactly what I was going to do. I said, well, between family and God, it's going to be God. That's the choice i got to make. Where am I going to go? Lord, you know. At the age of 14, Lord, you know. And so we saw him coming. And my little brother, we ran. He ran after us. He couldn't catch us. And we end up on the streets of Kampala, where we lived on the garbage piles, eating from the duck, the beans of food that was being thrown out in the garbage pile and sleeping on the garbage pile. And, and, and it's just, just that kind of life for two years. Uh, we would go to uh, the river to take a shower, and then we'd come back to the piles and, and look for food. It was there that God, in his grace, led a troop of men that came and picked up my brother, put him in an orphanage. That man was uh, Arthur DeMoss's grandson, Steve DeMoss, who had started an orphanage with uh, a man called Dr. Kefa Sembangi. And they had homes, the very first orphanages in 1979. Uh, they started those orphanages, 80s, 80, 81. And so they put us in, we put my brother in one of those orphanages. And I went looking for my brother, and they took him to the church, and I ended up going to the church where I was invited by one of the elders to live in his home and found that his mother had a foster home, and I was in that foster home. And through God's providence, I ended up in 1989 as a young man in Comfort, Texas. Can you believe that? From the streets of Kampala to Comfort, Texas. It's a story in itself of God's providence and his miraculous way of providing for us. And the reason I'd come there is because a gentleman by the name of Dr. Henry Krabendam, who was a professor at Covenant College at Lookout Mountain, had come to Uganda, and I was given the duty of carrying his bags wherever he went. And he asked me what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, and I said, you know what, I would like to be a preacher of the gospel. And he said, we'll pray that God will lead you. And so I came here in comfort, went to Bible school, went to Bible college, went to Reformed Theological Seminary, and then went back in 1996, 
When I arrived in 1996, after being here for about 11 years, Uganda was very different, a very different country that I left behind. There was AIDS everywhere. I went around looking for my friends. I couldn't find all my friends. And there was this refrain everywhere I went. There was this refrain wherever I go. They, I would ask, where is so-and-so? And they would say, he left. Uh, he left? What did he go? Did he go to another country? No, he died. I discovered very quickly that six of my brothers and sisters had died of this deadly disease of AIDS. I discovered very quickly that lunch hour when people have to go for lunch, they didn't go for lunch, they went to funerals. And the entire city was closed up. The entire city was closed up during lunchtime because people were doing so many funerals. In my first pastorate, I did more funerals than baptisms. More funerals than baptisms in my four years of... Uh, it seems like every week I, baptize, I, I would uh, bury two, three people in the funerals. That's the kind of environment that I was in. And I began asking God, I mean, what would you want me to do? <laughs> this is very hopeless. At that time, the statistics were... We, were about, we are now about 30 million, 32 million people, but let me tell you something. 50% of 32 million people are under the age of 19. We are the youngest nation on earth. 75% are under the age of 35. I am 45 years old, and I am considered old. I'm one of those creatures, what you call those creatures that lived a long time ago. Uh, what do you call those? Uh, dinosaur. That's what people think about me. I mean, I know, I know 45, you, you Americans at 45, you've just begun living. At 45 there, you're going down. <laughs> you're old. <laughs> and I'm constantly being reminded of by my wife who's younger than me. You're old. <laughs> old. Not a very good feeling, but I'm old. And so it was very clear that I needed to ask the Lord what I wanted. What did you want me to do? And the family was being torn apart. We didn't have men. And the young people didn't know their left hand from their right hand. Very hopeless situation. There was corruption everywhere. And God says you need to concentrate on raising men. Discipling men. And that's what we began doing. Discipling men. And raising up men who will be able to take on the leadership in our nation. When I turned 40, I asked the Lord, what would you want to do? If you gave me another 20 years, what would you want me to do with my 20 years? I, I don't want to be everywhere. I just want to focus in one area. Where would you want me? If you gave me 20 years, where would you want me to plant those 20 years? It was very clear. Again, I want you to disciple men. Godly men are the hope for Africa. You know, brothers and sisters, I know most of you have TV. Every time you switch on your TV, you see images of Africa, images of aid, images of war. It seems like there's always a story about Africa that is of a, a catastrophic nature. And many of you have responded to all these needs. But let me tell you, friends, the greatest need for Africa is leadership because that's the greatest problem in africa it's not aids it's not war it's godly leadership it's men taking their role to lead and so i came back for the sabbatical for the last three years and we've been looking at that i've been praying say god what does it look like to be able to build men what does it look like to disciple men 
And during that praying, a friend of mine who I had discipled many years ago called me up and he said, you know, we have been praying for three years. And I think it's about time for us to tell you what we've been praying for. I've been praying for three years. We've been praying for three years. We never shared anyway. He said, you know, we know, we know we want you to come to Rwanda. And most of you don't, probably don't know what Rwanda is like, but if you know the genocide, 1994, there was this genocide, and a million people were killed in 90 days. And how were they killed? They were not just killed because they were shot, but they were chopped off. They were killed by machetes. Bodies were floating on the river. They were everywhere in churches. One of the most disturbing things is that the priests, the churches would call the Tusi people inside the church and then would call the enemy to come and butcher them. And so when you look at the pictures inside the churches, you would see people, dead bodies because they would just come in and kill. There was this Hutu and Tusi uh, rivalry that had begun as a result of the Belgian racist ideas. So that's the country. And in 1994, it was re- liberated by the first genociders who came to Uganda in the 1950s, because that's the second genocide, but the first genocide was 1950. And they came, in the first genocide, people came to rent to Uganda, and they're the ones who came from Uganda to come back to Rwanda and redeem their country. And so Rwanda now stands as the hope of Africa. It stands as the hope of Africa because of the gospel. The people who came to Uganda have returned with the gospel into this tiny country of Rwanda. It is the cleanest city in Africa. Zero corruption in Africa. And Rwanda is serious about leadership. And so God calls us there through this one of guys that discipled in Uganda. Didn't know what happened to him, but I discipled him in Uganda and he ended up going back to Rwanda. So what are we going to be doing? Well, they have set up a theological training for pastors. It's called the Africa College of Theology. The Africa College of Theology is a non-traditional training center that will train pastors who are in the ministry. They're not going to do what you do in the West to take people out of the church and put them in seminary for four years and then graduate them from seminary and put them back in the church and they don't fit. We're going to be training the pastors while they're doing the pastoral work. What are we going to do? We're going to, of course, we'll teach theology and all these good things. But the whole idea is we're going to help to disciple the pastors so that the pastors can disciple their flock. So we're going to be training pastors. Second thing we're going to be doing is the, my friend started an orphanage because of the genocide. There were many, many millions of children on the street. So he began picking up these children. So he has about 4,000 orphans that are in the program, African New Life Ministries. This is his ministry, and so he has about 4,000. And so he said, you know, you've been talking about discipleship. We want to give you about 300 to 400 young men every year to go through a discipleship program before they go to college. And we want them to be men. <laughs> Not any kind of men, but men of God. And so we give you the pastors for training. 15, right now 50 have registered in the incoming class that comes in on 21st of January, beginning. And then in March, we're going to give you the first batch of the 100. We're going to give you 100 and then another 100 and 100. So you go through, they go through a discipleship program before they go to college. But also, 
We would like you to disciple the many people who have come to know the Lord who are in government, in education. We want you to set up a program that will help the disciples. So that's what we're going to be doing when we go to Rwanda. We would want to ask you for your prayers and that lift us to the throne of grace that God will indeed allow us and help us to reach our people. But also I'd like to ask you boldly that you would come and see us. Maybe the church would send a team. Why not? You have this program called Empire, and you have these young men in that program. We, we want your young men to come over. <laughs> it would be wonderful. Let them come and te- let come pair them. We'll pair them up with our young people there. So it's still for your prayer. It's an invitation. It's for you to pray about it and send your young women so that they can help our young women and send. And maybe they can learn something from our young women. It's reciprocated and your young men. So pray for us. That's essentially what we're going to be doing.